Welcome, friends. This is Voices Amped. I'm Ellie Clark. And I'm Vanessa Becker-Weig. And we are your hosts. It's 2021. To all our listeners, we are so excited that you are joining us on our new podcast journey. Voices Amped is a place for us to generate shared space to crank up the volume on underrepresented voices, stories, and action. Ellie and I are actors, producers, directors, and educators, and we've been making change together for the past eight years through our Arts Meets Activism endeavor, The Girl Project. Our work has opened doors for us to collaborate and partner with some badass people, artists, activists, community organizers. We are so excited to give you, our listeners, the opportunity to be as inspired by them as we are. We love telling people stories. Our guests will be longtime friends and allies, and we can't wait to dig in deep with questions about their work, their art, their successes and setbacks, the habits that make them tick, and how they manage their public and private personas. We will invite them to share some of their work or work that is currently inspiring them. Joining us on the regular will be the Voices Amplified leadership team, Jenny Benavides, Dr. Margaret McGladry, and our editor and intern, Kennedy Johnson. So, fellow Ampers, we can't wait to get amped up with you and our incredible guests. And remember, be curious, be courageous, take up space, and make some noise. Today on the show... We are so excited to introduce you to Jenny Benavides. Jenny is originally from Charlotte, North Carolina. She attended the University of South Carolina, where she studied theater, focusing on performance. She went on to study at the University of Kentucky, where she received her MA in theater. Her master's thesis, Cultivating the Unassailable, Analyze the Pedagogy and Application of the Pacific Performance Project, also known as P3 East. She is trained with P3 in both South Carolina and most recently in Seattle. Jenny is a passionate storyteller and brought documentary theater work to the Girl Project for the high school program, as well as TGP's community event, Voices Heard. She is currently the training coordinator with the National Association for Public Defense, She's a rock climber, a teacher, mother to a very vocal cat, <laughs> an advocate. She's a Taurus, which we all know. I love to know what people's signs are. The Taurus is an earth sign symbolized by the bull. She's known to attack you with hugs and snuggles while wearing adult onesies. What's the most recent adult onesie that you, didn't you just get a new adult onesie? I have a flying squirrel one. Yes, yes, that's the best. Our team describes her as a diplomat, a shapeshifter, thoughtful, deep listener, curious, collaborative, small but mighty, millennial interpreter, balanced, attentive. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. And on and on and on and on. Did we miss anything? I don't think so. <laughs> Thank you. Well, we're super excited to have you. Really, we're, you're our first guest of the new year. So happy new year to everyone. Um, Jenny, what are you leaving back in 2020? What are you getting rid of? Saying goodbye. <laughs> um, I'm getting rid of the things that don't bring me joy. Mm. We're going to Marie Kondo this, things that are unnecessary drama, unnecessary weight or stress. It's goodbye. I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> yes. Goodbye. Good riddance 2020. Mm -hmm. What are you, what are you going into 2021 with? Like, what are you looking forward to in 2021? Um, Looking forward to, and I think keeping up with all of the positives that came out of 2020. I mean, for a lot of people, 2020 was a absolute shit show, uh, you know, hard, difficult, beyond challenging. Um, 
And in a lot of ways, 2020 was that for me. Alongside of it, though, there was a whole lot of making more intentional space for focusing on what are my goals, what do I want, um, and starting to pursue those things more actively. And slowly but surely over the course of 2020, it was cool seeing all of those things start to materialize and kind of happen. And so um, more of that in 2021, kind of taking that foundation and continuing to build on it. Isn't that fascinating? I, I mean, I too feel so, um, I just have so much gratitude for being able to say at the end of 2020, man, there's been some progress made in certain things. Mm-hmm. Do you have any of that, Ellie, with 2020 feeling like you made some progress? Definitely. Um, just putting on the brakes is good for me um, because like I said, or like we've talked about, I know we just go, 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 go. And sometimes I don't give myself time to reflect on, am I doing what I want? Am I doing what's best for me? You know, I just have the task and I'm really good at making that thing happen. But I, you know, I never stop and say, do I want to be doing that thing? Is this what I want to be doing? Am I happy? And while it's been definitely a struggle, um, it's given a lot of space for daydreaming, thinking, spending a lot of time with with uh, good people on Zoom. Everything's a Zoom. Nobody calls anymore. It's like, we got to schedule a Zoom. (laughs) (laughs) It's nice to see faces though. I know. And you know, with all of us working um, so closely together over the years, keeping that connection going at this time has just been, been, it's meant so much to me, I know for sure. Um, So speaking of that, Jenny, our work, together, um, all of us and Margaret uh, with the Girl Project, um, you kind of joined, you were kind of the last to come into the leadership team. And mm-hmm. what, uh, what, what made you want to inquire about such things? Well, the practical was I was in between jobs and I had a interim contract for a year at a university, like an hour and a half from here. And I was like, this isn't going to work. Um, <laughs> I can't do this long term. Um, but I know also, I think in, I it had to have been around 2015, 2016, I was wanting to do more with um, my work as an artist, a teaching artist in Lexington. Um, Had had some good opportunities that I was learning from and growing from, um, but I wanted to do more of the work that fulfilled me as an artist, that uh, was, um, that I felt more of my own voice being contributed to the teaching, the work, the things like that. And um, to be part of projects that had uh, significant sort of long range impact that they were trying to do. Um, yeah. Well, we were so thrilled to, to gradually get to know you as you taught workshops and then just started to become part of the team. And one of the most wonderful gifts that you gave our work together was this documentary theater. So um, I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about documentary theater and kind of um, the the work that you've done with it prior to the Girl Project, but then some of the work that you did with it during the Girl Project. Yeah. Um, so documentary theater was one of those gifts of my undergraduate career that I was really excited to learn and grow about or like or learn and grow with at the time. Um, and I didn't realize how impactful it was going to be for my career, like long term at the time when I was doing it. So I um, I first encountered it at USC with my mentor who was teaching me a lot about the federal theater project and kind of advising my thesis, which was a, uh, a look at one of the theater productions that was part of the federal theater project. And I think the, the wheels sort of started clicking together. So documentary theater for listeners that don't know what it is, um, it is essentially like a living newspaper. Um, 
how it works is that you can take a modern issue um, that you can see in news articles or different interviews. You can conduct interviews with people who are experiencing those things, current events, and um, taking all of those factual pieces and parts and experiences and weaving it into a scene, a monologue, a full-scale play, um, something that basically creates an opportunity for that story to have a platform where it's understood more in depth. Um, and so it sort of started there in a class and I was a TA for a independent study class in documentary theater. Um, we did a project on uh, perceptions of women in the South because being in Columbia, South Carolina, uh, you are in the thick of old Southern culture, debutantes, um, different just expectations of women. And uh, there are also, you know, fringe, like women who don't fit into those models. And so um, we sort of used the course for that to explore. And I noticed that any piece of work that I did after that would kind of gravitated towards that of what is this person's story? What makes them unique? Um, yeah. So uh, you did a couple of different pieces with us um, in the girl project and worked with, with our girls. Uh, do you want to tell me a little bit about some of those pieces that we, that we worked on? Cause they were, they were just so inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. So the ones, the one that stands out a lot about the one with the girls, um, you know, we won the first year was when we brought in, um, the, uh, gosh, I cannot remember her name, but she was with, uh, Kentucky Refugee Ministries. She had grown up in the Congo and, um, had come and interviewed with the girls and, you know, it was really interesting you know it was activism in action so they heard the story and then because the group at the time was a group of mostly uh caucasian teenagers um you know we sort of had to look at who is this group um i think we had two two students of color in the group um one black and um so figuring out like, how do we tell this story with integrity? Um, it was a multi-layered process. That's what I'm trying to say. So we are, you know, learning about this woman's experience who not born in the U.S. hasn't experienced, you know, traumas and hardship uh, far beyond, I think, what most of us have experienced. And then and then figuring out, okay, we've given space to hear her story. How do we tell this story ethically um, with integrity that preserves and honors her and her experiences, but also is mindful and conscientious of the group of artists that we were working with. Um, the next year, I think it was a little bit uh, easier for them to uh, you know, come up with that devising process because we interviewed the um, the representative from the University of Kentucky Police Department talking about uh, why she works in self-defense and a lot of the stories that the girls brought to the table. Uh, the documentary theater was explored more within that group of students um, that year. So it's been interesting seeing, you know, and just learning for myself as an artist, um, the honor and the place that you have to hold when you're representing someone else and then also how that process changes up when the stories are coming from a more sort of internal source um how do you tell all of those stories well what um you know and maybe it's some of those moments with with documentary theater but what are there other with that specific work or are there other moments in our work together with the girl project girl project next generation voices heard are that are like your favorite do you have any anything you can pinpoint that you're like yes this is a moment that i will cherish uh -huh. from that time <laughs> yeah yeah um the very first like before i was doing documentary theater with the with the girls um I did the documentary theater piece for the uh, 
initial, the very first voices heard. And um, for listeners who don't know, some of you might, um, you know, we had partnered with Greenhouse 17 and uh, getting the opportunity to speak with um, a survivor about her story and about her background. Um, it's been interesting because I think that that interview has really sort of propelled my passion ever since she paused like towards the end of the interview um after telling me all of the stuff that she's gone through like just a nightmare experience and she started apologizing for how many details she was layering into the story and started to explain you know when you've gone to trial and people have been you know challenging what you've said and questioning every single detail about what has happened um she's like I just I, I talk a lot sometimes and I paused and I just explained to her uh you know that the that we had talked a little bit about like what Voices Heard was but saying you know this is an event that is aimed at empowering women and aimed to bring awareness to what women like you have experienced um and to make audiences see it and care about it and seeing the being able to see the relief that washed over her of like, I'm not being judged. This is a space where I am being just authentically heard for who I am, for what I've gone through. Um, for me, that was, that's the thing that I always want to do. Like, I don't care what else happens with other stuff. I just, I want to be part of the process of creating the piece that represents people who, um, you know, might not otherwise have an opportunity to do a performance, to memorize a monologue, to get up and perform something. If we can be a small part of sharing those important stories with people who, you know, maybe have never heard those before, I'm in. <laughs> I love that. That really is amplifying other voices, which is, is the whole purpose of, of our work. And, uh, for those Ampers who don't know, Greenhouse 17 um, is a shelter for women who have been through abusive relationships and um, they provide housing and work opportunities. It's really a wonderful organization that you should definitely check out. Um, so thinking about all of that work and, you know, especially the, some of the, the people that, that you've had the opportunity to interview and, you know, working with our girls and artists, um, how, how has that work changed you? And, and is there anything that you've learned from, uh, about yourself and from, from in the work that we do? Um, I think that, one of the things that I think has really come away from my work with the Girl Project is, um, I mean, one of the things that comes to mind is feel your feelings that, you know, uh, having these brave spaces to feel your feelings in all of their capacities, you know, that um, the complexity of one person's experience and the complexity of another's can coexist in the same place. Um, you know, going back to the Greenhouse 17 piece, we, that year we had a partner piece that was talking about, so we had one from a survivor and then one from a male staff member. Um, and he was sort of talking about like, this is how we get to a place of, uh, domestic violence by this emphasis that our society has on gender roles. Um, I wouldn't say that, uh, I think I have learned more um, what deep listening is because I wouldn't say that I was necessarily a person who was dismissive of what other people uh, bring to the table, what they have experienced, how they feel about things. But I think um, because theater, like working in theater and just being a human in our day and age, it's so go, 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 do this, do this, focus on product and product and product. Um, and Time with the Girl Project has uh, really just 
I think broken down all of those like fast habits of mine and saturate more in process, whether that's of your feelings or of listening to somebody else. Um, and it's shown me, you know, I, I think it's kind of reconnected me with a love that I have of all of that, that I love knowing people's stories and hearing them and understanding them, um, and giving space for that. So here you have had this wonderful advocacy work and you're a theater artist and an educator. And now you have this new, I'm fascinated by this new work that you're doing with NAPD. Um, So how do you feel like you've been able to kind of incorporate, you know, theatrical woman of many talents and (laughs) advocacy work into this new job? Yeah. um, So NAPD, um, I mean, it's kind of a perfect circumstance in that the role of a training coordinator is essentially a stage manager um, for the programming that we do. Um, So we offer like live, well, at some point soon, again, we will offer live conferences for now. We've been doing virtual ones and um, offering training and courses for public defenders across the country. Um, And I think, so one, like working in that has been kind of secondhand for all the work I did in theater education. It's coordinating details, making sure people have the information they need for going from point A to point B and making it easy, making it accessible and making it just an overall positive experience for them. Um, A great strength of yours, I must say. Thank you. (laughs) The advocacy work, though, that I am still humbled and thankful and excited by is like, uh, you know, seeing people who are on the front lines of advocacy work and working in the justice system, um, fighting for the rights of people who maybe don't have a voice otherwise, or don't have an opportunity. So we're doing a conference called We the Defenders uh, Rise, Resist, Represent in March. And um, it's for public defenders all across the country. Um, Well, public defenders, uh, people who do investigations, people called uh, sentence mitigation specialists, which we can talk about that a little bit later because that's like documentary theater. Mm. Um, and basically they take a sort of all encompassing, you know, if you work in advocacy, you are part of the public defense world, uh, essentially. Um, and it's basically operating or it's going to be held on the anniversary of the amendment that basically gave people the right to have a public defender. Um, you know, if you can't afford an attorney, one will be provided for you. That's only been a thing since like 1963, which I didn't know either. Yeah. And was kind of, when I found that out, I was like, oh, my dad was born in 1960. (laughs) Okay. Okay. That's not actually been that long. And when you place it historically, I mean, it's right alongside the civil rights movement, Um, And so seeing like the work that so many of these people are doing directly parallels into legislation that gets passed and, you know, real time, um, real time, real impactful, you know, uh, legal representation. So seeing, you know, the girl project is the, the activist and the awareness and the why of so many of these things. And then seeing like, these are the people who are kind of on the front lines of making this actually happen on the books. Um, it's really inspiring. Wow. That is inspiring. You, um, you have, uh, I, I think it's just a real joy to be taking some of the work that, that you are used to doing and then being able to adjust to new work. I just, I love that. That's really inspiring to me. Um, 
And I think that you have such a great, um, you're so consistent with, with just kind of what, what your needs are and what, what you want out of your work life. And um, I'm curious with your rock climbing. (laughs) Five pull-ups. Hey! It's been so fun to, to watch that journey with you um how how has your uh your adventures in rock climbing let's call it changed just uh how has it affected your life in general like how do you use um what the tools that you gain in your rock climbing adventures and (laughs) transfer them to your life and your work yeah um Probably one of the biggest things is uh, the part of doing what scares you. Um, you know, few things make you face that, like being on a boulder that is 10 feet up in the air and you have to decide, are you going to get your shit together and finish it? Or, um, or are you going to listen to your body and recognize I don't have control over what's going to happen next. And uh, by control, uh, mental control. I'm not listening. I'm not aware of my surroundings. I'm not, I'm kind of in this dangerous zone where I'm not able to process information as well. I'm going to come down when I'm in a, so that when I'm in a better headspace, I can try it again. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, if it's, I've been working on this thing all day and I'm going to fucking finish it, you know, it's, it's, it's either one of those that, that it regularly uh, tests and tries for you. Um, and then starting to see, like, when you get to a plateau, um, right now, my husband and I have taken a little bit of a break from being in the gym or outside climbing um, because of COVID and holidays. But what that has created space for is this idea of more concentrated training. Um, I had kind of gotten to a plateau where I was kind of, I've been performing about at the same level, but certain things have been, I wanted to really refine and focus on more, um, more control of my movement, um, more strength in my hands so that when, you know, if I've gone for a hard move, I have more confidence that I'm actually going to be able to hold on to it while the rest of my body is figuring out what it's going to do. Um, taking time and space to be really intentional with our training. So it's sort of this like multifaceted uh, obsession <laughs> for me. <laughs> well, just watching um, your strength grow and watching your body change in some of the pictures where you're doing pull-ups on your door and seeing your back and the the sheer muscle that you've built up. It reminds me of the girl project work with the police department when we, when the officer was inviting the girls to punch and throw a punch and feel impact. And I was, I think all four of us, you, me, Margaret, Vanessa were floored how impossible it was for our girls to assert strength mm-hmm. um, it and find it in their body to just throw a punch and see what it felt like and I know punching is very different than rock climbing but you are in your own way claiming strength for yourself and you are literally growing stronger and mentally yeah and then two I remember you talking about and maybe you can share about this in your rock climbing you learned that you were underreaching for the target when you were climbing and it resonated with me so much. And you were like, I think this resonates in my acting and just the parallels you were drawing. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so listeners, guess what? I'm a kinesthetic learner. Um, (laughs) things that happen in my body teach me a lot about metaphors of different things that are going on. Um, you know, it's really interesting. I feel like my climbing partners and I've talked about this before of like, Climbing has this really unique way of being able to see someone's insecurities uh, like directly manifesting in their body Um, in few places, because I think you have to, when you're approaching a problem, it requires both um, full commitment and concentration, but also a sense of ease. If you're holding on to too much tension and you stop breathing, you're going to fall off. But at the same time, if you are not 
going for, you know, the next hold with full intention, you're not going to get there. Um, sometimes it's a thing of, you know, the, the hold is really far away. So you have to make sure you have enough momentum to go for it. Or sometimes you have to hold on to that sucker with everything you've got and get until you can get your feet where they need to be. Um, and yeah, it's interesting. It shows you, it shows you so much about when do you get scared? Um, when do you think, oh, I'm not going to make this, so I'm not going to try as hard? Or, you know, when do you just decide I'm going to fucking do this? I've been working on this or I have been doing the things that I am supposed to do to be stronger, to be more fluid, to be more connected with this. I know that I can do it because I know the problem solving pieces that have come together on this. So let's just do the damn thing, you know? Mm. Um, and the unique thing about rock climbing is that it doesn't matter what level you are at. Um, you can be just starting out or you can be some of these professionals. A lot of times it's going to be the same thing over and over of like reminding yourself to apply body tension, reminding yourself to, uh, be that mindful and focused on where your body is in time and space, not anything that's going on over here or in your personal life or whatever, being here and now and figuring out what do I need to get to the next spot? Cool. We're here. Let's adjust. And now we're going to get to the next spot. Acting. I know. Don't forget. <laughs> Don't overthink it. <laughs> have a general idea of where you're going but yeah <laughs> yeah I mean it's truly amazing how all of that translates to theater life yeah rock climbing yeah and with all I just think everyone should do it <laughs> well I, I mean and even if it's not rock climbing I mean even even just like you know I've been kind you know trying so hard to do strength training and yoga and the strength training specifically is a, a kind of a new journey for me and I've just finally it like clicked in like oh this is truly a journey this is mm -hmm. you have to be consistent you have to just try to be in the zone when you're doing it and thinking about mm -hmm. how your body is forming and shaping and I'm mm -hmm. like well that took me an awful long time to figure that out <laughs> so absolutely <laughs> Um, so if you're thinking about this kind of like, you know, being consistent and, and going on these, these journeys with rock climbing and translating that to life and theater, how in all of those things, how do you measure your successes and your failures? Hmm. <laughs> we don't ask Good easy enough. questions. Here. <laughs> Tell us a wise one. <laughs> Tell us, please. <laughs> I think, hmm. I think probably one of the most liberating things that's come about through climbing is that failure is not the end. Mm. Um, you know, if you are climbing to finish every single route that you ever start, you are in it for the wrong reason. You will not last. Um, that's not the point, uh, you know, the, and that probably, it was a lesson that took me a while to learn because I'm an only child and I'm a perfectionist. So <laughs> wait, how does only child come into that? Um, I, it's like that, that thing that you sometimes share with like the, that those personalities share with like the oldest sibling type of, you know, when you're the only one, all of the pressure is on you sometimes to, mm -hmm. you know, get good grades, do all the things you're, you're the parents, guinea pig. So here we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they, they don't have a younger sibling to be like, oh, we can go easier on them. <laughs> they're fine. <laughs> um, at least, you know, comparing notes with my husband, who's the oldest of four, um, you know, it, it might be different for youngers or middles. I don't know. There might be different perspectives on that, but I wouldn't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think like, uh, oh no, I lost it. Can we go back? What was that? So we were, we were failure. Yeah. Failures. Yeah. Um, 
that's probably one of the most liberating things. Like I'm a perfectionist and for so long, I've been afraid of getting it wrong. And in art climbing in life, like you got to get over that. You're never going to get it right. A hundred percent of the time. Um, that doesn't mean that you just don't do it though. Um, instead, you know, I look at success as okay today. I, tried something new. Maybe I tried a route that is out of my range, but I at least got the start. Um, so the next time I come in, I work on getting to the second move. Um, you know, it's on the days that you can finish something great. That's super exciting. But, you know, sometimes I even look at success as being cool. I didn't get any further than I did the last time, but I made my way on this route consistently three times in a row that means I know I can do it so now I'm going to direct my attention to the next piece of the puzzle um that's so cool the idea that at the point of failure in rock climbing that that's the point where you have to decide on navigation and negotiation and how you're going to get like it's the it's the point at which you begin learning is the point at which you're failing that's so fascinating yeah absolutely I mean a lot of times they'll tell you okay, so you can get the first three moves, but you're having problems on this. Skip the first three moves. Like, you know, you can do the start, like, forget it, skip it. Or, you know, if the start's too hard, okay, whatever, don't get shut down there. Go to the second move and see what you can piece together there and have your goal eventually be sequencing it all together. But just because you can't start something doesn't mean that like, I don't know, you're shut down or not worthy of working on it. Like, go ahead and try it. Try what you can and see what you learn from and how you grow from it. Mm. That's really healthy thinking you got going there, Jenny. Really, (laughs) really healthy thinking. Do you have, um, do you have anything in your, in your life that is like a, a, a really big regret I think how much time I've spent previously being afraid of things. Um, You know, it's interesting talking to my parents have joked before about like, uh, you know, my parents are very careful, conscientious people. My mom is a math teacher and my dad's an IT guy. Um, They're wonderful, amazing people. Um, They're also typically pretty safe people. Um, you know, the rock climbing thing, they're like, oh man, (laughs) um, there's this story though of when I was itty bitty and I mean, I don't know, I'm not a parent. So I imagine I probably would have been scared too, if it was my only kid, but, um, I was apparently in a like tube thing. My uncle has a boat and like, he was taking the kids out on the lake and stuff like that. And I was just sitting there like hanging out a little kid. I have no idea how old I was, but my dad apparently like went up to the boat and was like, you're going too fast wit. And um, his sister looked at my dad and was like, Bob, it's an idol. <laughs> like the boat's in idol. It's not even moving. <laughs> oh my God, that's funny. And I love that. Like, I love that about my dad that he's that like aware mm. and, you know, wanting to make sure that his daughter is safe and all that kind of stuff. But I can also see like, huh, if that's the perspective, you know, the thought that I always um, struggle with is like wanting to be practical, but where, where do I shortchange myself with over practicality? Um, And at what point do you take a risk and just go for it? Um, So yeah, I think that pattern of thinking and that approach was hardwired for a long time. And I think regret wise, I think that's something I wish I could have unpacked sooner about myself. So, I mean, you talk about fear and overcoming those fears and and not realizing, you know, at at an earlier date that, that you could overcome those fears, but certainly you still have fears to overcome. And what, what right now would you say is your deepest fear and and how do you strategize to overcome it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) um i think that 
there is still fear of failure. You know, it's something that uh, if you think about your sport, your leisure activity or whatever is, you know, a bit of a therapy session. I mean, it's something that I'm continually looking myself in the mirror on is like, you know, um, how much am I letting fear play into this right now? A fear of failure and not uh, succeeding in terms of a commercial success, right? Of like finishing the route or of, uh, you know, being the best version of me 2021, like give yourself some fucking grace for we've just gone through a pandemic. Um, uh, I think, you know, this thing of wanting to be excellent and make sure that I've not like failed other people, uh, you know, um, I think the expectations that sometimes get put on us as women, as professionals, things like that, um, I, it can be really hindering from being present and take away from that. And I think being present is the more important part mm. than, you know, what your, what measure of success you have. I mean, hopefully you do have some like, you know, uh, not just kind of wasting the opportunity or something like that, but um, not letting it sort of manifest or like build up to a point in your own mind that you end up shortchanging yourself of being here and now and the best, most open version of yourself you can be. Do you think uh, that people, you know, you, you are coming across in this interview as a very centered person which is wonderful. It is. It really, really is. And and you know, knowing you for a little while now, um, I think that you you are grasping your strength, which is really exciting to see. Um, in general, though, do you think that people have uh, a correct perception of you as a person? Um, and and if if they don't, what what do you think they have wrong? Hmm. Um, I think by and large, and I know we've kind of talked about this before a little bit, I think by and large, people's perception is mostly there, you know, of like, uh, that, um, I guess my take on what someone would most likely say about me is, you know, she's authentic, kind, um, energetic, um, <laughs> different things like that. I think, uh, probably what, um, people might not always see is, um, the things that I do get, uh, for lack of a better term, spicy about. That's something that I, I wait a little bit before I let someone in to seeing, uh, like what does, anger, frustration, um, you know, uh, outrage at injustice <laughs> look like in me. Um, that can be something that I think takes, I don't know that it necessarily like takes people off guard, but I think that it's something that at least like in my, particularly like growing up and in my early twenties, I don't think that I really let myself feel like those more, you know, I'm not even going to say negative emotions because they're valid and they're, you know, important. They're important as part of our experience in the world. But I think um, I was so concerned with, I guess, like the culture upbringing of like being polite and being diplomatic and doing all of these things that I didn't necessarily give space for. Okay, but when these emotions exist and they are completely valid, what does it look like and how do you navigate that? How do you navigate that with, you know, integrity? Uh, like, you know, not going to be a dick to somebody just for the sake of it, but what does something like standing up for yourself look like standing up for somebody else? Um, and what is that in like subtle capacities? And what is that in terms of when it's like, no, that's wrong. Stop period. The end. I think when I have, when I do get to those points, people are like, oh, oh, damn, because <laughs> it doesn't come out very often. <laughs> yeah, it makes me want to ask you something that I know we asked Margaret and Vanessa asked me, but we talked about fear and, you know, some regrets and 
successes and failures, but what makes you feel, what makes Jenny feel the most vulnerable? Vulnerable. Of anything, like. Mm-hmm. Um, I think on like, honestly, <laughs> talking about uh, my feelings on things that are anything basically like less than positive, if it's something that I've been wrestling with, um, if it's something that I'm like, uh, I wouldn't say not as excited about like if I, I feel like if it's something that I'm like, eh, I don't know. Um, but if it's something that I feel anger over, um, if it's something that I feel like is going to cause conflict, um, that is like, nope, nope. That can become a no fly zone really fast for me. Um, for whatever reason, I think we're still unpacking that a little bit. And it's something that I think that's something that as a person I've been trying to work on, you know, those feelings aren't wrong. Um, They're not wrong, both in the sense of just to feel them in myself, but also it's not wrong to express it because one, somebody else in the room may feel the exact same way. Um, Or two, it may be a thing of like, oh yeah, I haven't thought about it from this perspective before. Let's navigate through this. It's not necessarily going to be this like black and white response. Life is so much more grayscale, you know? So could you help our ampers out with some advice and what, what is the, what's the greatest piece of advice that you have ever been given? Mm-hmm. Um, I've been given two. Okay. So I'm going to say, them. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> and they were both by acting teachers. Um, one is um, it's much more interesting to survive. Uh that was from my Shakespeare professor. He, oh, I know. <laughs> I like just start crying. <laughs> I know. <laughs> he, you know, was talking to, uh, his name is Robert Richmond, and talking to a classroom of mostly female students, probably one of the most empowering things in my early career as an artist is being in a room full of women and being told, instead of doing the approach to a Shakespearean monologue where the eyebrows are up to your ceiling and your voice is up here, uh, connecting to your power and surviving and not letting one of those, you know, one of the Shakespearean monologues where she's lamenting something, that that's not an excuse to downward spiral to death, you know, uh, within the monologue and saying, It is much more interesting to survive, to watch someone fight, to overcome whatever that thing is. Uh, That has forever stuck with me. And um, the other, it's less of a like phrase and it's more of a, uh, I guess an idea. I guess the phrasing for it for me is stand as tall as you are. Um, And that's from my uh, P3 Pacific Performance Project East teacher, Robin Hunt. Uh, and where, where I connect that to is this idea of uh, the unassailable core that she talks a lot about and she and her husband talk a lot about in their training. And it's this, there's an essential piece of every single person that cannot be touched uh, and cannot be taken away uh, per se, no matter what is going on. Um, she has this story that she's used to describe it, um, talking about when she was doing, I think it was Clytemnestra with uh, Tadashi Suzuki. So she's in Japan. She's been working on this show. Um, And they were doing this like kind of climactic scene like over and over and over and over again. Um, And she said that, you know, in the middle of the rehearsal, like the rehearsal got stopped and the director just screamed at her essentially like, why are you so good at my training, but so like not great at acting. And uh, this is like being communicated to her through a translator. So he's shouting and the translator is uh, saying it a little more quietly. (laughs) So I can, and she talked about like, feeling pressed against a wall just with like oh my god I am exhausted I have been doing this over and over I have I don't know that I have anything else to give in this and then realizing 
she did, that there's a piece of herself that didn't matter what necessarily he was saying. I mean, she still had a job to do, but that did not diminish like her worth as a person. And so she said, you know, he said it, she collected herself, had a moment. And the way she describes it is, and I kept working. Um, and so, yeah, this idea that you can have all of these things happening against you and then, but when you have that thing, being able to tap into it and keep moving. That's great. That's great advice. Yeah. I am reading a book that has been recommended by you and been passed on to me finally. Yes! <laughs> that Jenny passed on to me as well and I finished. <laughs> so I am starting said book like Lennon Doyle. Um, what are you reading right now? I am reading How to Be an Anti-Racist. Oh, yes. So good. Kendi, yes. Yeah, yeah. so powerful. And so, so powerful. What uh, are you uh, gaining some perspective from reading that, I'm sure? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've just, I mean, I'm like, like a hundred pages in or so. One of the things that is standing out uh, or that stood out, especially on like the first day of reading it was um, this idea of like calling an action, uh, a person, um, something like name it racist. Isn't, it's not a bad thing. It's not the end of the world. Um, that, well, I mean, yes, it's bad. Like, <laughs> don't be racist. That's, that's the goal, right? Of not being. But uh, this idea that the powers and forces at play that want the world to stay more comfortable, right? Or essentially for uh, values that are rooted in white supremacy to be staying in control essentially there's this sensitivity to calling something racist to the point that, oh, well, we can we say that? Can we say something's racist? That's going to hurt someone's feelings. We shouldn't say that. Like, no, you have to say it. You have to be able to say it in order to be able to break it down and to learn and grow and figure out how to be anti-racist. Um, you know, anti-racist it's a thing that can change you can say something that is anti-racist but then give yourself space to learn and grow and begin practicing something begin practicing as an anti-racist um breaking down this idea that there's this idea that's gone around that like to be called racist is like you know the end of your journey it's like no it's not it's just bringing to your attention something pretty important you know it's like if i were climbing uh without like proper safety equipment or something be like hey you're messing up like and being able to redirect from there so have you read other um what other books have you read on race I mean I'm reading right now so you want to talk about race mm -hmm. um and I know a big suggested reading is white fragility um and I think everybody in the world needs to hear something a particular way to learn it. So every book is valuable, just depending on who you are. Yeah. Um, have you been, have you read other books besides that one? Um, and I, I have certain books on race or um, inclusivity resonated with you more or less. Um, I know last year I read uh, the new Jim Crow um, and that was uh super powerful you know going through historically you know the history that they don't teach you in the U.S. or the history that's sort of glossed over of um just how systemic all of this is um you know one of the things I think I don't know I I know this isn't necessarily like a uh resource on um like anti-racist literature but Generally speaking, something I tried doing last year, one of my goals over 2020 was to read 36 books in a year. Um, so that's like three books a month. And one of the things that I tried to maintain perspective on is that I was not reading a, I, basically that I wasn't reading all like white 
authors, that I wasn't reading from authors that looked like me. Um, making sure that my reading list had a variety of authors who, um, you know, didn't look like me, that there were, you know, I read, um, I read Baddest Bitch in the Room by uh, the woman who worked with the Wu-Tang Clan. Um, I cannot remember her, uh, I can't remember her uh, background. I know she is Asian. Um, and then, you know, reading Trevor Noah's uh, memoir, um, reading Little Fires Everywhere, um, and the follow-up book to that, which is, uh, or the predecessor, which is Everything I Never Told You, and it's the story of being Asian American in the United States. Um, that there's a lot of other things to it, but that definitely plays into um, the main character's experience. So, I think it's also in terms of making conscious efforts to, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, decolonize our media, like whatever it is, making sure that you, what you're reading, um, you're really looking into that conscientiously. Um, media that you watch on TV stuff, the people you follow on Instagram, um, you know, if it, if your media mostly looks like you, that's probably a good starting point of where to shake things up for yourself. Penny, mm. what is your superpower? <laughs> um, hmm. I'm feeling like my superpower right now is like this like Zen honey badger vibe I have going <laughs> You are, I'm like, are you a guru? Are you growing into a guru by the time you're 50? We're all going to be... Uh. yeah I think I'm I think let's you know that's kind of how I've joked about like who climbers are sometimes but it is sort of this balance of um being you know introspective and reflective enough about who you are and where you're at but also having that like gumption and knowing when to take it out of your head and get mm -hmm. it in your body and send all that energy out yeah Jenny for president <laughs> what's your campaign slogan um oh man what is my campaign slogan that's funny I say hi friend hi friend <laughs> <laughs> well I mean I really that would be really pretty much the polar opposite of what we've had for the last four years so I think that that works yeah right I think it works god forbid <laughs> My friend, you're all my friends, right? And you can all be friends. Like it's possible. It's let's be friends. Let's be friends. Let's try that for a little while, shall we? I'll make you gingerbread pigs. <laughs> We're gonna move on to our campfire time for our ampers. Campfire is a moment for our guests to share inspiration with our listeners and us. The campfire represents storytelling in an intimate setting that is unique to the people who are present. In our activism work, we, we refer to this as the closed container or circling. So Jenny, what are you going to share today? So I'm going to read two quotes. Great. So speaking of Untamed by Glennon Doyle, <laughs> that will be a campfire selection today. Um, it's a book I read last year on my quest to read 36 books and I flew through it. Um, and I think for me, the thing that was so exciting was just this idea of uh, liberating yourself from expectations that others have on you. Um, so first one is because once we feel, know, and dare to imagine more for ourselves, we cannot unfeel, unknow, or unimagine. There is no going back. And there's a few others that I have. Um, we forgot how to know when we learned how to please. Uh, growing up in the South, that one is big for me anyway. Um, that's sort of the culture sometimes for for good and for uh things that you have to unpack later 
And then this one was really good too. I am here to keep becoming truer, more beautiful versions of myself again and again forever. To be alive is to be in a perpetual state of revolution. Whether I like it or not, pain is the fuel of revolution. Everything I need to become the woman I'm meant to be next is inside my feelings of now. Life is alchemy and emotions are the fire that turns me to gold. I will continue to become only if I resist extinguishing myself a million times a day. If I can sit in the fire of my own feelings, I will keep becoming. Mm. Also, we can do hard things and you're the goddamn cheetah. <laughs> <laughs> for catchphrases you can keep me always <laughs> I know um when she's talking about that cheetah in the beginning achieving that task and how people celebrate it and how diminishing it is to the true nature of that animal I was like dang man and finding our wild and we Vanessa and I talked about that in my interview just being a people pleaser and it's not a it's not necessarily a bad thing if you have knowledge enough to be present in the fact that that is part of your nature or yeah. if it's not part of your nature, it's something you learned along the way in, in this, mm -hmm. in this learning manners and politeness. Um, so I am going to jump to, well, thank you for sharing from that book. I think a lot resonated with me in our work too, and reading the book and you saying you have to read this next. And I had just read Uneducated and that book shook me pretty deeply. So um, to read, to jump to a very different style from a different female writer um, was exciting. And yeah, I couldn't help but in the moment compare the two books and the two stories and the level of struggle invited in and the level of no, K-N-O-W, mm -hmm. not N-O, um, the level of knowledge. Yeah. And I'm excited to hear what you think, Vanessa. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm, I'm very anxious to get through it. So um, so let's move to our rapid response portion. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's like those Vogue interviews. I, I know. Love I'm these. such a little girl. I just get so excited for these questions. <laughs> okay. Um, and don't don't feel like just because we uh, re uh, refer to it as rapid response that you can't take a moment. Um, okay. What is your guilty pleasure? Criminal Minds. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Do you watch it over and over again? <laughs> and Scandal. Oh, right. And Oreos. Uh -huh. Oh. Uh-huh. Criminal Minds, Scandal, Oreos, like, man, I don't know if that's like, you know, undosed or undiagnosed anxiety that I'm needing to unpack, <laughs> but these serial dramas, like, can watch them over and over again. <laughs> yep. Uh, what's your favorite sound? What's my favorite sound? Hmm. Um, you know... I get, I never don't get excited when I hear like ACDC or Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> You're so badass. Um, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? What would you choose? Um, I think flying. I want to go places faster. <laughs> and without pandemic germs. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Um, if you were to have a disclaimer, what would it say? Watch out. She says fuck a lot. <laughs> you might say hi, friend. <laughs> Maybe that that's actually the disclaimer. Like it's not even a disclaimer. It's hi, or friend. She wears flying squirrel outfits. <laughs> Sometimes wears onesies. <laughs> Um, what do you want people to say about you when you're gone? I don't know. I think I want people to say I did the best I could with who I was and what I had. God or no God? I think hmm, spiritual. 
what would you be doing with your life right now if money were no issue? Um, probably creating documentary theater work. <laughs> what is your theme song? There's so many. There's so many theme songs. I don't know that I've ever had a theme song. There's so many good ones, but okay. I don't know that I have one. Um, choose one. Rom-com, documentary, action, or thriller? Ooh, I like <laughs> thrillers. That's fun. You know, for the documentary theater girl, she, like, I don't watch documentaries that much. We were all, we were all supposed to say <laughs> documentary, that, but we didn't. Uh, yeah, I guessed. Well, no, I've been guessing on all of them. And Jenny's was definitely thriller. I knew, uh, yes. Yes. I got one I right. <laughs> well, Jenny, thank you so much for sharing some story time with us yeah. we are so so grateful that you're part of our team and you'll be hearing more from jenny throughout our time with voices amped thank you all thank you for having me all right everyone thanks for getting amped with us if there are questions that we didn't ask that you want answered be sure to send them our way we are voices amped on instagram and facebook I don't think we have a Twitter, but you know, there's two other ways that you can get in contact with us. So we'll be good, right? Voices Amped is part of the arts initiative, Voices Amplified. You can check us out on our website at www.voicesamplified.net. Our team is Ellie Clark, Vanessa Becker-Weig, me, Jenny Benavides, and Dr. Margaret McGladry with production assistance by alumni and intern Kennedy Johnson. This podcast is possible in part due to a generous grant from the Kentucky Foundation for Women. We want to thank Lauren Rourke for the badass podcast art, Tiffany DuPont Novak for our Fierce Voices Amplified logo, and Vanessa Davis for our beautiful underscore, I'm doing okay. You can check out her music at Songwriter Vanessa on Instagram. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope to see you next week. Voices Amped is generously sponsored by the Kentucky Foundation for Women. For more information about our guests, podcast content, or if you want to learn more about Voices Amplified, follow our advocacy work or support our 2021 independence campaign. You can visit our website, voicesamplified.net, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram. And remember, be curious, be courageous, take up space, and make some noise.